place you're gonna collect that. After that's passed you by, um, will you please um, join me in honouring uh, and welcoming our guest speaker tonight, uh, Chris Valentine. He's a, yeah, come on up, come on up. Chris is a, a great man of God. He's a, an elder in our church and, um, and, and he's got a word from God for you tonight. So be excited for that. Thanks, band. Crash out. Crash out. Done. Very good. <laughs> Nailed it, fellas. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> good to see all that hard work's paying off. Amen. Uh, good evening, everyone. There's a lot of people here. Either people love burgers or the word got out that I was preaching. I reckon it's the first one. <laughs> People are keen for some artery-clogging grease at the end of this fast. Who has been fasting? Who has struggled to finish sentences? Clarissa and I are in the middle of a conversation and we both just end up standing there going... And it's, it's, um, it's quite unique. It's amazing. I actually had a bit of a shift in my spirit when we were talking or when we were going through fasting. Excuse me. My initial thought at the start of it was, what am I going to ask God for? I had, some, I had a list of requests that I was sort of like, okay, I'm fasting for these things. And then by about day 20 of a 21-day fast, <laughs> God brought to my attention that it's not about the requests that you bring to me. It's about the ability to just listen and hear what I've got for you. And um, it actually shifted my thinking a little bit, shifted my, uh, and challenged my thought patterns. And um, I hope that uh, tonight is only a word in season and is God inspired, amen? So hosts, be prepared to open the doors because some people might leave. Um, this is my only crack at it, so I've come. No, I'm only kidding. Charles is freaking out. So is Geordie. Um, so for those that don't know me, I'm Chris. I'm married to my best friend, Clarissa. Hot one in the third row there. Um, I've got two beautiful boys, Miles and Owen. Most of you know them. They just introduce themselves <laughs> to everyone. And then they go, that's my dad. And that's how I usually get introduced to people. They're my social network. Um, I'm 37. Um, I know, stop it. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, just, a, just a whippersnipper. Um, is that the term? That's not right. It's not right. <laughs> whippersnapper? Yep. <laughs> remember, that other, remember that other one we talked about, Charles? That's right. We'll leave it alone. Okay. All right, let's get to it. You can stay there, Dan. If you've got, do you want a seat, mate? Or? No, you're right. Yeah, you just stand. Um, so my message tonight isn't to preach anything. Um, it's not really to uh, throw information at you. Um, my message tonight, I hope, is, is fairly broad. It's pretty large brush strokes of a big, bigger picture. I don't really have the opportunity to get into the nitty-gritty because I've only got about half an hour. 
and um, my stomach is ready for whatever's over there. So let's get on with it. Um, look, it's not necessarily going to resonate with everyone. Um, so like I said, if the hosts want to open up the doors, feel free. Um, and uh, we'll see how we go. But I can assure you it's not heresy. It's the Word of God, and it's something that I really think that uh, God's put on my heart. And um, my, my challenge to you tonight is to think. It's not necessarily to uh, bring anything new or any sort of fresh revelation, but it's just to think. Um, and so really, tonight's message is about two words. Sometimes these words are confused, and sometimes they're blended together. Um, but the two words are wisdom and knowledge. Um, look, the two words pretty much are partners on their own. They have incredible power, um, and at times they are confused. But the two words, wisdom and knowledge, have incredible meaning as you combine them together. So we're going to take a look at them. We're going to see what they mean, why they're so important, and how they are applicable to us. Um, so you can probably say, well, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Aren't they pretty practically the same thing essentially they are so I think we could just wrap it up there Geordie and <laughs> call it you'll call it and they're done <laughs> no wisdom and knowledge are both very valuable uh, they are vastly different and the key to understanding them is one pretty easy solution knowledge can exist without wisdom but wisdom cannot exist without knowledge the best way it was explained to me was Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in your fruit salad. If that makes sense. That was good. So I tried to think back in time to a part of my life, and my parents are here tonight. They're Ross and Cher's at the back there. Um, and they're going to resonate with this story. My dad bought me a remote control plane. So we're talking 1989, no, 88. Like, I was at, <laughs> like, yeah, it's a long time ago. <laughs> Pre-U, pre-U, pre-U. <laughs> um, so my dad bought me this remote control plane. Now, this thing was so awesome that the cord attached to the plane and it didn't actually fly, it just went along the ground. So you could imagine that I'm pressing this thing and I'm walking and I'm following a plane, which in my mind, I'm thinking this plane should fly. So knowledge was this plane should fly. That's what planes are designed to do. Applying wisdom to that was not to cut the cord and throw it off the balcony. That was not a wise decision. I had knowledge that planes were supposed to fly, but I also understood that they, that one wasn't supposed to fly. But wisdom, if I applied it correctly, would have told me not to throw it off the balcony. My poor dad cried. Um, he realized that he had just spent a lot of money and he couldn't stop it. There was, there was no way of stopping that. And so... Wisdom and knowledge are two things that when you combine them together, actually go hand in hand. But you can't have one without the other. Next page. <laughs> I learn something new every time I come to preach. What I learned today was when you look at the screen on your computer and it's zoomed in, that's not necessarily the font in which it gets printed in. So I've, I've probably massacred half the Amazon with the amount of paper that's underneath that chair over there, but I apologize. And I asked God for forgiveness, and he said, it's fine. Um, 
So who's read the book of Proverbs? Anyone know the book of Proverbs? It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And wisdom and knowledge are two key things that are in, that are in the, the book of Proverbs. It's probably the most prevalent when it comes to those two words. It has multiple chapters and verses on the topic. To give you a bit of context, Proverbs was mainly written by King Solomon, known to be the wisest and the richest man, not just in biblical history, but to have ever lived. Proverbs' main themes are essentially tips to live a godly life, with wisdom being the main thread that weaves its way through it. And I don't believe coincidentally, but divinely, it has 31 chapters. And with 30 to 31 days in a month, there is a chapter for each day. I've read a chapter each day for many years of my life, and I always find more and more each time, every time I read it, where I can apply it into my own life. Do you know why? Because God's Word is living. I particularly like halfway through chapter 5, but you'll have to read that own chapter on your own, and that's mainly for married men. Proverbs is broken down into two main areas. Chapters 1 to 9 are all about wisdom. And it's mainly for young men in particular, so most of the front row here. Um, so go home. It says avoid the immoral woman and all that sort of stuff. So it's fairly, it's fairly good info at, this, at that level. And then there's uh, the second part, which is from about 10 through to 31, and that is wisdom for all people or how to apply wisdom for everyone. So the first, sec first section can be categorized as a prologue, prologue for wise living. I did say sex by accident. And the second one was principles for wise living. I just got to own it and then move on. So now we have a bit of context for what Proverbs is written and why it's written. We now have to find out about the writer himself. So anyone know of King Solomon? He was known to be the incredibly wise. Not only that, he was incredibly wealthy. And he ended up with riches beyond his world. It's believed he was worth, in today's money, about $2.2 trillion, with a T. $2.2 trillion. Um, how he got to that was through a lot of other bits and pieces. But he never asked for riches, and he never asked for power. But I'll get to the other reason why shortly. He built the temple, and he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Let that resonate for one second. 700 wives and 300 concubines. There lies another way to tell between wisdom and knowledge. Solomon obviously knew that he liked the ladies. Choosing to have 700 of them of your, as your wife or as your wives is not the wisest thing. Imagine Valentine's Day. 700 wives there. You take one. Thin ice, I know, sorry, mate. <laughs> Dan and I have got a really good friendship, it's okay. Maybe not for long, but <laughs> we did have a very good friendship. <laughs> I know he can't hurt me because he's got to play the piano for the rest of the night. However, wisdom came with incredible wealth and success. 
he noted all of these things in the book of Proverbs and also in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Proverbs talks about acquiring knowledge and acquiring wisdom. And they go together like peas and carrots. That's a Forrest Gump reference, but anyway, didn't, didn't get it. So the value of knowledge and pairing it with biblical wisdom is vital to a godly life. Why? Because biblical wisdom and knowledge come from a divine source, and that is the creator of heaven and earth. So let's break it down. What are the main thoughts here? Wisdom and knowledge are related, but they're not the same. Wisdom can exist, sorry, knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not vice versa. And one can be knowledgeable without being wise. God wants us to have knowledge of Him in order for us to obey Him. To obey Him, we have to know who He is and to obey His commands. Just knowing about God is not merely enough. You can have all the facts on God and still not understand why you need Him. Atheists go through, although this goes against their own argument, but they study God to work out why He doesn't exist. So let's start with wisdom. There are two main uses for the word. The Hebrew is chokma, essentially means the application of right living. The second is the Greek, sophia, meaning the right application, truth. So chokma meaning the essential, which, which is the application of right living. Sophia is the application of truth. When I read that, it gave me a real sense of how true it is in this day and age to have Sophia with wisdom, the right application, truth. In a world of so much information that is right there at your fingertips, our knowledge has increased substantially. The rate in which technology has advanced in the last 10 to 15 years is estimated to be about 20 to 30 times quicker than in the last century, with 15% in the next six years. Knowledge is increasing. Knowledge is abounding. All you need is a small amount of knowledge and you can hold a conversation quite easily. I put my hand up to that. I, could, I don't watch the football, but I watch it just enough, just enough that I can hold a conversation. I may not be accurate, but, um, but that's what we tend to do. We tend to base our ideals, our thoughts and our feelings around certain types of information that we gather. But... This is the big but. Are we able to discern between all of the knowledge and information that we're given and then apply that to wise and righteous living? See, language, the way that we use language now, we use language and the meaning of things has changed. See, you can take a moralistic argument like abortion. Someone will say, it's a fetus, where the truth says, a human being you can take the marriage between a man and a woman but it's not saying anything other than it's now marriage equality who doesn't want marriage equality but what it does is it's taken a term changed it and manipulated it to serve a different purpose these moralistic arguments and these sorts of things can counteract to what we believe but it's essential that we can understand the difference between not only just right and wrong, but those grey and murky areas in there as well. Things like the news, social media, universities, schools, family, homes, and dare I say it, church, shape our lens in how we view righteous living. 
It boils down to our ability to, to discern and to sort of weave our way and find out what the key is for righteous living for Jesus. So what does discernment mean? What does righteous living mean? Words that are associated with righteousness are integrity, to be upright, diligent, and of course, wisdom. Coming back to the book of Proverbs, let's look at chapter 10. If anyone has their Bible, open up their Bible to Proverbs chapter 10. If you don't, that's fine. Find a phone, find a friend with one. And we're going to look at some of the things that righteous, or some of the things that righteous living looks like. In verse 2, a righteous life is profitable. Verse 3, if you live a righteous life, you won't starve. In verse 4, a righteous person is diligent. In verse 5, a righteous person is always forward planning. Verse 6, you avoid violence. Verse 9, a righteous person walks with integrity. Integrity meaning that you're the same person at home or when no one is looking at you in private. See, integrity is what we do in secret is the same as what we do in public. Verse 11, a righteous person is an encourager. You are a well of life. Verse 16 says, you lead a life of abundance if you're a righteous person. Verse 20, a righteous person speaks uplifting words, has a restraining tongue. I can struggle with that one. Put my hand up for that one. Verse 23, a righteous person's desires will be granted. Verse 28, a righteous, per, a righteous person lives in hope and in gladness. Verse 29, the ways of the Lord are strengthening. The righteous person understands that the Lord has a plan. And verse 31 says, a righteous person brings forth wisdom. There are multiple things that are mentioned here in these few verses alone. And I'm like, yep, I'll like that one, I'll like that one, I'll like that one, I'll like that one, I'll like that one. I could go through the whole list. And I know that there's a bunch of areas in there that I need to work on. However, righteous living isn't just something that happens. A life of righteousness has to be coupled with biblical and godly wisdom. It has to be underpinned with knowledge and understanding of who God is. See, you've got to be not, you not only have to understand God. See, it's not about understanding history. It's not understanding political facts. It's not about understanding sports, science, finances, the stock market, coronavirus. Our underpinning of knowledge has to be on the character and the love of God. Understanding that our ways are not His ways, but submitting to His will and His purpose for us. See, Romans 2, 12, 2 says, Don't copy the things of this world, its customs or behaviors, but allow God to transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will know God's will for, which is good, for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. See, what we see here in Romans is a discipline. It's a deliberate decision to say, I'm going to allow God to transform my mind and my heart towards things that are pleasing for Him. This is an application of knowledge coupled with wisdom to allow God to do a work within you. So I hear you then say, are we just 
robots? Do we lose the ability to choose if we allow God to do these things in our mind? And I'm going to say no, if that were the case, there would have been no need for Christ to come, to suffer and to be sacrificed. Because for what purpose would that have been? This is an instruction by Paul saying, your decision to follow Jesus is the best decision that you'll ever make. However, it doesn't finish there. There's still a race to be run and won and a destination to get to. If we all just sat back after finding salvation and didn't strive after God, then that is a mediocre or lukewarm life. And Jesus has some fairly strong words regarding lukewarm faith. Now, I understand that these words are strong and I understand that this may be only an opportunity, this may be my only opportunity to do this. But I really felt the Lord say to me, if I don't take a chance to present what he's placed upon my heart, then I'm doing exactly the opposite of what my message is today. So with relief, we move on to my second point, which is discernment. Does anyone know what discernment is? Can anyone give me a definition? This is interaction. Felicia. Great. Very good. Something that is right or nearly right. You didn't hear what Felicia said. Do we really have the ability to tell the difference between what is right and truthful? You see, sometimes it's really easy to see the difference between black and white. It's fairly easy to distinguish. It's easy to tell the difference between right and wrong. But can we distinguish between what is right and what is nearly, nearly, nearly right? Can we rightfully see beyond the lights, the noise and the ear-tickling speech to allow ourselves to be deceived? I know personally how easily it can be to be drawn into a decision or into a direction that looks good, promising and full of opportunity without testing or proving it in what God wants. In the book of Chronicles, chapter 18, chapter, no, 2 Chronicles, chapter 18, actually, we have a story which we're going to read. And uh, it's about two kings, Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah, and Ahab, who was the king of Israel. And a little context, Judah and Israel were once united, had now split. And these two kings had formed an alliance just for a small passage of time. And they were debating whether to go to war against another army. So I'm going to read verse 18, 1 to 8. Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem. And he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. A few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab, who prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. They butchered great numbers of sheep and goats and they came for the feast and Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramoth Gilead. Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead, King Ahab of Israel asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Jehoshaphat replied, why of course you and I are one and my troops are your troops. We will, be certainly join, we will certainly join you in battle. Then Jehoshaphat added, but first let's find out what the Lord says. 
to the king of Israel, who was Ahab, summoned the prophets, 400 of them, and asked him, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or should I hold back? They all replied, yes, go right ahead. God will give you great victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is uh, Micah, son of Imelah. Jehoshaphat replied, that's not the way the king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, quick, bring Micah. I'm going to stop there. Although the decision looked, it should have gone ahead. Although Ahab had 400 of the prophets come in, he didn't have the ability to discern what these false prophets were saying. Jehoshaphat knew the voice of God and he knew him well enough, God, he knew well enough, and realized that these men didn't speak for God, but they just spoke for themselves. They were yes men. The one that the king didn't like was the one that was prepared to bring a a message of wisdom. As Christians, we don't have to study every distortion of biblical truth to understand and spot heresy. As believers in Jesus, we must learn God's word and know it is well and know it well enough to be able to recognize when it is being distorted. I believe that in our era or in our era, sorry, of fast-paced decision-making and high-risk, high-reward thinking, we've lost the ability to discern to actually slow down and take time to make a decision and a decision that is based on what is holy and what is good. Now here you say again, I don't hear the Holy Spirit and why would a spirit be speaking to me about such things? Well, I can't answer for you, but for me, for me, I don't hear voices, but I have an inner gut feeling, sometimes a tension when something doesn't feel right or I'm super unsettled or I have too many options and I can't make a decision. It's only then that I feel, finally realize that the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me to slow down, to be still, to get into his word and listen. And without fail, a scripture, some wise counsel, or a random encounter has a way of bringing clarity to the situation. As I was writing this, I had the exact same feeling what to do with my business. I'm a landscaper by trade and I've always been a sole trader and I have a lot of thoughts and feelings that were going along and one of the things that I thought I should pray for in the fast along my many list of things during the fast was what I should do. But I had to be still and just to let, allow God's word to transform my, transform my mind and allow his will and his purpose to prevail. Proverbs 4 25 to 27 says look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what is before you mark out a straight path for your feet um, it's for your feet and stay on a safe path don't get sidetracked keep your feet from following evil for those that call ourselves followers of Christ it's not an easy task Christianity isn't something that as soon as you ask Jesus into your life it's you know rainbows and roses and chocolates and those sorts of things. Not that I like rainbows or roses. 
um, following Christ is a real, is a challenge. If you read the book of Peter, First and Second Peter, it talks about the trials and the tribulations that we go through as followers of Jesus. If I had read that, <laughs> if I had read that prior to asking Jesus into my heart, I probably would have, you know, thought about it a little longer. But I knew, I knew that when you ask Jesus into your heart, it's not about the things that you face here on earth, it's about the eternal perspective. We have to separate our worlds when there's so much deception from so many different places so close to home. These, I suppose, these can influence our decisions. Um, and at that point, we really have to ask for wisdom. I know this sounds cliche, but you know, when Solomon was laying in bed one night, God asked him, what do you want, Solomon? And do you know what he said? Wisdom. You know, for us to actually gain wisdom, all we have to do is ask. To gain biblical knowledge and understanding and wisdom altogether, we just have to ask it. We don't actually have to have a theology degree. We don't have to be in church our whole life. All we have to do is ask. See, when he asked for wisdom, God gave him riches and power beyond his wildest dreams. Now, that's not the reason we ask for wisdom they were just a consequence of the action because Solomon could have asked for when God said, I will give you whatever you want. He could have said, I want to be the best king ever and I want to have a harem of just ladies. He could have. It was a done deal. But he asked for wisdom. He asked to know what the difference was between what was right and what was nearly right. He had a lot of knowledge that he could apply to the wise based choices that he was making. The first thing that he had to do as a king was two ladies came in and they both were quabbling over a child. One lady said, this is my baby. The other lady said, this is my baby. And he had to stand there and make a decision and go, right, the only way, I can't please both of them here. So the only way that I really... I have to test the heart of the real mother. So what does he decide to do? He says, bring me a sword, I'll cut the baby in two and they'll have a half each. Sounds pretty grotesque. But the heart of the real mother said, no, 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 she can have it. And it was at that point he knew that by applying something that he had asked for, this actually ended in a result that was the right result in the end. So all we have to do is ask. Proverbs 2, 2 and 3 says, Tune your ear to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. James 1, 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask your generous God. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is like a boat at sea, being tossed and turned by the wind and the waves. See, when we do ask for wisdom, it's a big thing. You've got to come in faith, and you've got to come in clarity of mind. That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and sometimes he's going to ask you to make decisions that aren't going to sit well with you. But if you understand that it's for the purpose and the will of God, 
and you understand that your mind is well, your mind is not going to be toing and froing. So it's that simple. All we have to do is ask. Ask with faith, ask with the desire. And we all have access to it. So on that note, at the start of the mind at the start of tonight, my words were it was a challenge. My challenge to you is to go and think about these things. Think about the things that don't necessarily sit well with you all the time. Challenge what I've spoken about tonight. Go home and look through the passages that I've read and apply it to your own life because they are the, that's the way in which you will move forward in your, your walk with him. That's the way you will understand the character of God. See, the character of God is here. It's in amongst these pages. And by knowing who our God is, we can then understand why he asks us to do certain things. See, if we don't know who God is and we don't understand his ways and his meanings, we can't then understand why he's called us to do certain things and therefore we, we let them slide by. Or we, like Charles was talking about this morning, we miss opportunities. God moments. So take a look at the application of wisdom. Take a look at the application of knowledge and discernment in your own lives. I have to constantly remind myself about the walk in which I, we walk every day. We fail, we falter, but I know that God loves me unconditionally. And my journey with him is to live a life of righteousness. So I encourage you tonight to chase after wisdom Pursue understanding and knowledge of who God is. Start reading the Old, Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. Maybe read a bit of Ecclesiastes. Maybe read the book of James. There's a whole lot in those couple of, couple of books there that will really start to shift and transform your mind into the way, the plan that God's got for your own life. There's a lot there that I can unpack but I won't at this point in time because I actually want to give people a chance to respond I actually want to give people an, an opportunity to say if this is something that you desire I'm going to ask two questions so maybe while we're I'm about to ask the questions if we can maybe bow our heads and close our eyes just for a little bit of privacy but I'm going to ask two questions tonight First, I'm going to ask a question for those that maybe don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what this life of being a Christ follower is like. Maybe you haven't had a chance to sort of really understand what it means to live a life of righteousness. Maybe you're on a journey that you know who Jesus is. You know who he is, but you don't know him within you. So I'm just going to give people an opportunity to respond. If, if you're here tonight and you don't call Jesus your Lord and Savior, but you would like to, it's something that you would like to do in your own life, just in the privacy of while everyone's got their eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and then just put it straight back down.
second question tonight is for those that would like to chase after a little bit of this biblical wisdom that we've been talking about. To apply it to a life that God's got in store for you. To understand His ways a little bit better. To understand who He is a little bit better. And I'd love the opportunity to pray with you guys as well. If that is something that you feel that you'd like, I'm going to ask you to quickly lift your hand back down again and the next step I'm going to ask you to do is put some faith in action and if you did put up your hand I'd love the opportunity to pray for you and I'd love for you to come down to the front Um, I might even get the band back up to sort of But I understand that the life that we the life that we we're, we're pursuing for Jesus is not always an easy one. It's not an easy one. So if you would like to come down to the front, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to let these guys sing, and we're then going to close the meeting. Thanks, Ashley. But thank you.